totally forgot we were recording tonight, so it's a good thing you put... I saw the tweet you posted. (laughs) Yes. And if I didn't see that tweet, I would have just been sitting here and you would have been like, where are you? You No, you would have posted that you're running late and I would have been like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? I didn't know. I wasn't aware. All right, wait, let's make sure we're all in. I've been recording good, so that's good news. I've already pressed record. There's going to be one of those days where we start the podcast and I didn't press record. I, I always I was look. I was look. You guys are going to be pissed and we're going to have to start restart it. That's yes, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Last week, I almost forgot to press record until like Tom you mentioned like are we recording yeah. or somebody said hey we're recording. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Cause mm-hmm. It's going to happen. I know it's just a matter of when. All right. So, here we go. All right. Welcome to Talk Around Riyadh, the Wheel of Time showcast. I am your host, Joe Perry, Lord Captain Commander of this podcast. I'm here with my co-host, <laughs> Jen Isgro of the Brown Aja. How you doing, Jen? I'm good, Joe. Um, and also with my other co-host, Tom Merrillin, our Gleeman extraordinaire. Excited as always to be here, Joe. Yes, and it's a special spooky episode of Talk Around Riyadh. We are going to be talking about Shadow Spawn, and it's Halloween. It's time for a werewolf bar mitzvah in this house. Oh, no, no, no. I won't say it. Don't worry. Just to myself (laughs) all the time. So I think this is going to be a really fun episode because there's actually not that much different kinds of Shadow Spawn that we see in the Eye of the World, but um, I'm really curious as to um, how they're going to show these on the, on the show because I think it's going to be really cool and like going to be so super excited when I first see my first Trolloc. Um, and just kind of... Never forget <laughs> the moment you see your first Trolloc. No, it's my first. <laughs> will, will Narg be my first? Yeah, I think bringing that whole... I mean, you read it and you kind of picture it in your head. And I don't know, to me, when I'm reading, is, it's never as scary as I think seeing it. So I think there's a real opportunity here to bring these creatures to life and to show how intensely scary and monstrous and horrible they are, where you might not get that from the book. And I guess different people are different when they read books. I don't know if you guys are, when you're reading, you kind of picture things more scary than they really are. I don't know. I think that there is a theory in, in horror, right, that if you can get away with never showing the monster, you'll always be scarier than if you see it, right? Because no matter what is behind the door, it's never as scary as what you think is behind the door. The same kind of thing. Like, you're going to make the scariest thing you can imagine if that's what the story calls for. And they're not going to show you that because they don't know what's in your head. That's true. I never thought about it that way. Right. I always think, like, you know, Trollocs, you're reading about them and they fight Trollocs and I'm like, oh yeah, cool, they're killing Trollocs but I never really, I guess, got a sense of how scary they could be. By the third book I guess by the fourth book Trollocs are just things to kill there's no threat to them anymore because they're so powerful, the characters but like, in the first book, I think especially in the early portions, they uh, they do a very good job of showing you just like how, like how terrifying it would be for a normal person to encounter something like that. Yeah. I think there's a good opportunity to bring that to life. So I figured before we get into the actual Shadow Spawn that we review over who's working on those on the show. They've seems like they've hired a pretty decent crew of people to 
work on the uh, makeup effects design and the special and visual effects. So I just kind of wanted to run through those real quick and take a look at some of the other stuff that they'd done, you know, pull up their credentials. So the first person I pulled up is the in charge of the makeup effects design, which is going to be the person responsible for any kind of creatures that are created on the show, whether it's animatronics or, you know, people in suits and makeup and anything like that. So his name is Nick Dudman. So Nick Dudman has actually worked on the new Amazon series Carnival Row that just came out. Have any of you watched that yet? No. I hear it's actually pretty good. I've seen uh, commercials yeah. and things for it, but that's it. Yeah, he's worked on that most recently. He's also worked on that show Penny Dreadful. Okay. That was on Showtime, which I saw some of that. And the most exciting things that he's worked on, he's actually worked on almost all the Harry Potter movies. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Actually, no, he's worked on every Harry Potter movie. He's also worked on The Mummy Returns, Judge Dredd. <laughs> Last Crusade. Last of the Mohicans. Batman the... The 1989 Batman movie, yeah, Last Crusade. So this guy's, oh, he's also done Willow. Oh, I didn't even see that. He's been around a long time. Labyrinth, Legends. Like 30 years he's been working. Return of the Jedi. Yeah, Interview of the Vampire. Empire Strikes Back as well. I think we're in good hands with this guy, with Nick Dudman. He's got a lot of experience. He's worked on a lot of pretty big movies. So I'm I'm actually kind of excited now that I read all this. (laughs) I think there's definitely an opportunity for somebody's face to melt or burst into flame. He's got a lot of that in his background, so I'm feeling much better about <laughs> about uh, caverns of flame in his background. Caverns, of, I'm feeling better about caverns of flame. <laughs> but yeah, so this guy's a lot of experience with creatures and fantasy. I think we're gonna probably not be disappointed with what any of the creatures look like. Yeah, that's very exciting. Yeah, that's again another sign, another really positive sign that the show is pushing the right buttons that they're really making a serious investment to make this good and, and, and high quality and not just like a cash in, you know, or let's just do a cheap knockoff of something that was successful and see if we can get, you know, crossover fans. But like, really, let's just make a quality product. This guy has a resume. Like it's a, that's a hall of fame makeup artist resume. Yeah. I think he's actually won awards too. If I remember correctly, I think he's actually won awards for like some of the Harry Potter movies that he did. So this is an award-winning makeup designer. So next, we have the special effects, and that's being done by Miroslav Prekachel. I don't know. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that name. So he's doing special effects, and he's actually also worked on Carnival Row. So I'm imagining him and Nick Dudman have worked together previously on that. Um, He's also done Spider-Man Far From Home. He also worked on one of the Underworld sequels. Um, so he's not as well-traveled as Nick Dudman, but he's worked on a lot of visually enticing um, <laughs> um, shows and movies. So, And then finally, doing the visual effects, we have Jacob Chilsuk. And again, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. And Karen Gulekis. So Jacob has worked... Let's see. He's done uh, an episode of Black Mirror. He's did some miniseries, What Lives Inside. Hmm. Yeah, not too much stuff that I've heard of. And he does some show Curfew, which I've never heard of either. Not really sure about too much about him. But Karen Gulakis has worked on a lot of stuff. She's done the show The First, the show Lifeline, Bloodline, the movie Looper, Green Lantern. Looper is great. 3D. Okay. Piranha 3D. Maybe they'll make it the, wait, wait. the Wheel of Time 3D. Piranha, no, Piranha 3D, 3D has some very memorable Jump scenes. Jump out and like, actually stab at you. 
Yeah. Uh, he's worked on, uh, she's worked on MacGruber. Uh, uh, Venom, The Day After Tomorrow, Spider-Man, the 2002 Spider-Man. That's awesome. Fifth awesome. Element. Okay. One of my favorite movies, Strange Days. Nice. Apollo 13, True Lies, and Jen, your, one of your husband's favorites, Last Action Hero. Nice. Okay. So visual effects, Karen Gulakis has also worked on a lot of stuff, a lot of movies, TV shows, you know. And Joe, just... Uh, what, she's not a chump. What's the difference between, like, the visual effects and, and the special effects? Like, what's the difference between those people? Like, what, who does what? I think you know the answer to that, Tom. <laughs> I do, but I was trying to tee you up to sound knowledgeable. And tell you. I did not know at first, and I did some research. So special effects, people work on actual effects right in front of the camera. Whereas the visual effects work on effects after the filming. So I guess like more of the CGI stuff and computer effects where it seems like special effects is more practical. It makes me very excited. The kind of the high quality, impressive resume cast that they got for both in and outside of camera effect people because that goes back to making the one power look good since that's probably going to be all post-filming stuff. That's true. And making what we're going to talk about today look good, the shadow spawn. Because I feel like Trollocs are going to make or break you, right? In regards to the reality of the show. And I know that they made a very you know, distinct decision when they were doing uh, the Game of Thrones show to try and not have as much magic and fantasy as possible, right? To limit it as much as they can. Well, that series lends itself to that because it, there isn't really as much no, magic worried. so much in that series. So I think that, that made it a far easier adapting of it because of that and i'm sure it kept their um their cost down at least in the beginning because there wasn't that magic uh, element so much as like where wheel of time where the whole world revolves around magic exactly but um yeah. I, the fact that they're they're leaning into it apparently is a good sign to me so yeah and i think most of what we're gonna the shadow spawn we see in either world i think are gonna be like trollocs i'm pretty sure it's gonna be people you know in prosthetics yes. and yeah. whatnot I think that makes the most sense. I, I mean, I imagine when maybe when they get into like if they do bigger battles, you'll see CGI Trollocs just to fill out the ranks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the makeup artist, the makeup team doesn't have to, you know, dress like a thousand people as Trollocs. And the merge roll, I think, as well. Yeah. Again, I think it's going to be people right. in costumes and makeup. But we'll get into it. We'll get into each one and then we'll, you know, give our thoughts on those. So I figured we'd start off with the very first shadow spawn that we see in the series, in the eye of the world. And it's actually in the very first chapter where we run into a Merdral. They're known by many names. So they're called Eilish, Shadow Men, Half Men, Lurks, Fetches, Fades, and Neverborn. I think I think Merdral have like the most <laughs> nicknames out of any of the shadow spawn that we see. Yeah, they revel ran for just second names. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I figured I'd start off with reading the um, the first encounter we have with a fade slash merge roll, and it's in chapter one of Eye of the World, so I'm going to take it away. Not more than 20 spans back down the road, a cloaked figure on horseback followed them, horse and rider alike black, dull and ungleaming. Skipping on, the rider's cloak covered him to his boot tops. The cow tugged well forward, so no part of him showed. Vaguely, Rand thought there was something odd about the horseman, but it was the shadowed opening of the hood that fascinated him. He could see only the vaguest outlines of the face, but he had the feeling he was looking right into the rider's eyes, and he could not look away. Queasiness settled in his stomach. There was only shadow to see in the hood, but he felt hatred as sharply as if he could see a snarling face. Hatred for everything that lived. 
hatred for him most of all, for him above all things. So there we go. That's our first that's our first Shadow Spawn, chapter one. That's right. Yeah, that's the Murdral we learned later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the interesting things about Murdral, just to go over like the creation. So they were not intentional creation, apparently. Mm-hmm. They're a Trolloc thro- throwback to the human side of the stock. So Trollocs are human-animal hybrids, genetic materials kind of combined together. And there's a 5% chance that a Trolloc can wind up more animal or more human. And the more human percentage that happened turned out to be Murdral. So Agnor unintentionally created them. And they can only be male too, I I saw. There's no female Murdral. And they all look exactly the same. They're like clones. Yeah, it's very odd. They don't ever get into how Trollocs continue to exist. Right? Do they? Oh no, they do. Oh, I have I have notes on that. Okay, I apologize. May I tease that our research our researchers have found some actual video footage of Trollocs mating? Oh my gosh! So, I was under the impression that it wasn't like it was a five percent chance that the product of Trollocs mating would just be a merdral. The, the way you made it sound made it sound like it was like they're being bred, and then the five percent chance that a merdral will be created. But I think it's more of a random. Like, wait a second, this thing looks like a human just with no eyes. And then instead of just yeah. killing it, they were like, well, let's let it grow up and see if it has magic powers. Yeah. So I read that if it comes out with more of the animal side, then it usually dies. But if I guess if it comes out more human side, it was it became a merdral. But I wonder, like, is it born like a baby and then they have, like, kid merdrals? Like, do they grow up at the same rate as humans? I didn't see anything about that. Yeah, I don't know. I imagine it's similar. I imagine they grow up similar to humans. Yeah. That's and weird. I guess some yeah, the Merdral since they're more human like, I imagine it's very similar to the human age. They don't mention if they grow old and die. Um I don't know if that happens. They didn't really get into that. Yeah. Too much detail of that. We couldn't really find anything about that. Yeah. I mean, I I imagine that that's probably the first instinct that they had that the Merdral should be kept around. Because even like, you know, in a litter of trollic babies, you know, instead of being eaten by them, I imagine it's very much a Spartan kind of like only the fittest trollic survive to adulthood thing. <laughs> and then, uh, but like it can just control the monsters around it. What are Mergel's powers? What, what, what do they do? Well, so what they, so I'll just give you a quick appearance. So they're tall and muscular. Their faces look completely human. And of course they have no eyes. So if you look up artwork of Merdral, there is always, at least in my head, I always had pictured different things and people seem to picture eyeless as different things. Um, some people just picture it or I've seen artist renditions of just, they just have no eye sockets. It's just flat, like their face just continues over where their eyes would be. Right. I always pictured like they have eye sockets, but there's just no eyeballs in them. I don't know how you guys... That's creepier, I think. I pictured it with nothing, with just like, yeah, just like skin over where yeah, your eyes would be. But I don't, actually, I'm not sure which one is creepier. I think no eye sockets might be creepier. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no other than the eye sockets. I pictured it as just solid flesh with no eyeballs at all. So no no eye socket, no anything. Just kind of yeah. uh, their cheeks go into their forehead. But I never pictured it that way. And that's how I see a lot of the art around of Merdral's. But I, I always pictured it. They just had eye sockets, but no eyeballs, and no eyelids, just holes. Yeah, yeah, almost yeah. like a skeleton. I feel like, yeah, I feel like to me they would be described like people would say their eyes are missing, 
in that case instead of they have yeah. no eyes. I don't know, whatever. But I mean, we'll see what they decide to do. That's true. Either one is scary and weird as anything. And every time I think of it, I think of The Matrix when in the beginning of the movie where they make Neo's mouth disappear. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I think of it in the same kind of a way. Instead of no mouth, he'll just have no no eyes. Also, Pan's Labyrinth is what it comes to mind sometimes yeah, if you yeah, see yeah. Pan's Labyrinth. The, the one creature that has like his eyeballs on his hands. He doesn't right. actually have eyes on his head. Yeah. But Mergel can still see though. They yes. don't have eyes, but they can still see. Their skin is dead. It's like white. Um, their blood is black and corrosive. Um, they have black hair, very matted hair. See, I never picture them with hair. They do. They have black uh, hair. Oh yeah, no, they they yeah. have uh they have like white, greasy, matted hair. White hair or black hair? Yeah. They're black hair. Black, no, they're black, black, black. Hair. I'm sorry, black. I meant to say black. I apologize. But there's um, no, it's not greasy though. It's it's no. Greasy? There's no gloss or texture. There's no gloss or texture to their hair. No, I mean like really, just like gross and. Uh, yeah, okay. I imagine it very like almost like dead. Like well, not that I've seen a well, dead body also- with hair on it, but. Fear running water, so they probably don't take showers very often. That's what I meant by yeah, greasy, <laughs> just like, like almost like we would go camping. Uh, I don't think that's the running water they're talking about. Yet. Of course, it <laughs> is. <laughs> what else would they be talking about? Yeah. Like their hair is so like, but it is. I don't think they take showers or anything. I think they, they, their hair is so like it's like a clump of hair, just unwashed and. Ugh, they probably smell gross too. Everyone smells gross. There's no indoor plumbing. So the the shampoo and the conditioner in the hotel room wouldn't work on the on the no, draw. Would not get them. It is not working. Not, not working. <laughs> not working. Oh boy. Um. So. <laughs> The last bit I have of appearance is more of the clothing is they wear – so they wear black plate armor uh, with overlapping strips and a black gambeson, which and breechers. And I'm not sure what a gambeson is, and I didn't bother looking it up. So I'll message the research team. Uh, so if anyone gambeson. knows what a gambeson is, you can uh, point it out and correct it to us because I refuse to look it up because we have a team to do that. Why should I do it? Um, and they wear black uh, cloaks over their armor, which we – I kind of described in that little um, paragraph I read about them. Can I tell you what it is? Go ahead. The research team just got back to me. It's a padded defensive jacket worn as armor separately or combined with mail or plate armor. Oh, it's probably like the underneath padding. No, it's an over pad. I think it's like... um... It says here over... They wear the black plate over black gambeson. It doubled as a winter coat. And breeches. So it's probably the padding that they wear under the armor. Yeah. And as I mentioned, they're all identical which is kind of weird because you would think they, right? Because they're bred from different trollics, yet they, anytime Mergel is happens to be created, they all look exactly the same. Well, you don't know how much human stock was used in creating trollics. Could have been just Arnold, you know, could have been one <laughs> human. I hope, I hope there's a scene of the trollics just being born out of the mud, fully formed. No, stop. No, no. <laughs> just like a muddy See egg. Agnor, like pulling them out of the mud. I, I don't think more oh, trollic birthing scene, maybe. Stop. Oh, stop. Boy. Stop. <laughs> Which is better, that or seeing trollocs doing it and then a female trolloc literally giving birth to a baby trolloc? A tiny baby. Imagine seeing right. a tiny see- baby trolloc. Oh, that'll be sick. I hope we get that. Maybe it would be cute. They could do a whole trollic side story, you know, like um, Steven Spielberg style, where he likes to always like pick some random person and follow their like, emotional side their character life, story for like, like a short while to make you care about their life flashes about before them. their eyes, right before they get killed. Maybe we'll like Narg will have like a whole little uh, backstory. Hey, with his, ch- his kids that he eats. 
you know, because uh, <laughs> they're monsters, folks. They're monsters. They are monsters. So Murdral, uh, they only have a misty reflection in the mirror. Yeah. And wind does not touch them, as it's often described in the book, how their cloaks don't move when the wind blows. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't dream, which is weird. Like, they make very distinct points in the books about talking about which right. shadow spawn dream and which don't. I guess as it relates to maybe Teleran Riyadh. Right. So I guess Mergel can never go into Teleran Riyadh because of that. And you can't go into their dreams. Yeah. And it's, it's, there is some suggestion that Mergel are only part of this world, too. And I guess maybe that has something to do with why their cloaks don't blow in the wind, why they have only a misty reflection in the mirror. And one of their coolest abilities where they can jump into shadows and, tr- and travel through the shadow and pop out another shadow, which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah. And I think we need to see more of that. I don't remember seeing a lot of that in the books, though. No, it happens in Berlin, and it happens a couple other times. But they never use it in, like, combat, where you think it would be awesome, where it's like, yeah, they have a big fire, and then they just shop up behind the soldiers and murder them. But I think it has to be, like, more than just your shadow in the day. It's got to be, like, a dark, shadowy corner that's, like, this complete blackness, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that's, um, that's one of their cool. That's one of their cool powers. They could also, you know, they could disappear into the shadows. They can also sense channeling. So that's one thing that's very prominent in the eye of the world. Is there? I know Maureen is very conscious of when they're fleeing from the two rivers about trying to keep channeling to a minimum. And when she does channel, only channel like a very little bit of the power because they can sense the channeling. They also can mentally control and dominate Trollocs. And yeah, they link to them. Yeah. Trollocs link to them, and some and the thought is that it's kind of like a protective or a defense mechanism. So because if you kill a Merdral, any Trollocs that it's linked to die. So for like soldier organization, uh, an army organization, that the reason that this right. ability um, is used is to prevent Trollocs from turning on the Merdral. Yes, <laughs> because if they if the Trollocs do turn on the Merdral and kill the Merdral, the, they're going to die as well. Right, and I think that's part of, like, I think that's what made Merdral not, you know, get eaten when they're babies, basically, is that they can do that from the get-go. So they can dominate yeah. the Trollocs around them and, like, bend them to their will and drive them to do things that they wouldn't ever do, even crossing water. Yeah, and they have that paralyzing gaze. Um, there's the that, what is that? There's, a, there's, like, a Borderlander phrase, like, the look of the eyeless is death or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. And then, of course, the craziest ability they have is that they can be used to turn Channeler to the Dark One. 13 Merdral. Yeah. And 13 we... Channelers. The look of the Eyeless is fear, Joe. Oh, it's fear. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So they have like a like a D&D dragon. You just are afraid when you're around them. Yeah. And even, even the staunchest water feels it. It's just that you have to battle past that fear. But yeah. It, that is great when you find that out because that is like the biggest Chekhov's gun in the series, I feel. It's like you find out that like the channelers can turn someone, you know, to the dark side, for lack of a better term. What, I don't know, like 10 books before it happens. Yeah, you're right. It's it's something that's kind of revealed early on and you just don't see it happen. You're waiting. You're waiting. You keep waiting. You're yeah. like, oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. There's no way they tell you that. Yeah. You kind of forget about it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you know it's not like something you're constantly reminded of in the books, and they so they do live in the blight. They're more of a solitary creature. So they can also actually command uh, drag Drakar or Drakar as well, not just Trollocs, but they yeah they can also command Drakar. And their fears are running water, like you said, Jen, showering. Uh, 
They prefer baths because of that. You have to run the water for them first, and then they'll get in. A good soak. Uh, good. You have to test the water, make sure it's the right temperature. <laughs> for dead flesh. Yeah, they don't like entering Steading, and they also don't like to enter Shadow Logoth as well. So those are the, their main fears. So here's something really cool that I found out that I didn't know. You can bond a Merdral as a water. Ooh. But it would drive you insane. Weird. So where did you find where where did the research team pull that out of? Is that something? I- uh, out of a out of a Q and A on Tor dot com. Mm. Yes. So that I is- thought that was interesting. Right. I think that that's an interesting uh, kind of uh, – because when we mentioned earlier about how they don't dream, right, it is a, a – com- I don't know if this is true or not because I'm not a doctor, but it is a common trope, I would say. Uh, I know, it's shocking, <laughs> but it's a common trope that if you do not dream, you will go mad, that dreams are essential to maintain sanity, right? And I think that it is intentionally – stated that they do not dream because and uh, with a subtext being like they're all insane which you would yeah. kind of have to be to really just buy into the dark one and like uh, yeah this is the right way to go they're not bloodthirsty monsters in the same way that trollocs are but they're still like all in on this and and part of that is because they're just not sane yeah and so i would yeah they can speak they can yeah. speak they're very clever and intelligent yeah yeah so they're not like mindless zombies or dumb barbaric like trollocs they're very intelligent they can speak the common language so um what do you feel like i feel like a lot of like we talk about a lot a lot of things that are in the wheel of time books are inspired by other things myths legends you know whatever the case may be i want to talk about what inspirations led to half men the fades if you will my first thought is is the Black Riders yes. from the Nazgul from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think that's why. That's my first the, thought. Okay. Yeah, I think that's why they're dressed the way they're dressed. I think that's why they, the guy has a cloak in the beginning. Like they really don't wear cloaks all the time, although they do wear them, I guess, in the Borderlands, which is why when they go to Feldara, they have to remove their hoods. There's no hoods allowed because everyone needs yeah. to see eyes. But what you call it? Yeah, I think that they're the the beginning of the book is supposed to very, very, very much echo the beginning of Lord of the Rings and and him riding in the woods or the path and a black rider and the sphere and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah, I think he's very much, very, very influenced by the Nazgul. No, I was going to say I tried looking up other things that it could be other myths or anything like that, but I really couldn't find anything. It was pretty hard to find. Yeah, the the only other thing that I would say, I don't think that there's any kind of direct, like, Drakkar when we get to that, like, you know, mythical monster. But I do think that they're generally like the boogeyman, you know? Like every... Slenderman, maybe? Slenderman, the <laughs> Babadook, all of those kind of things where it's like basically every culture has its own thing that hides in the dark that comes out and scares you. And, like, you can do anything, can disappear. He's never around when your parents see him. Cause yeah. he, you know, like, so I generally think that there's, like, a boogeyman element to him. The fact like that... Days of fear. Yeah. And the fact that every culture has its own name for it, its own things that they say about it, whatever the case may be, I think that there's an element to that as well. Yeah. And, I mean, even in, in the Wheel of Time, there's about you know, six or seven different names for Merge Roll. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you're, <laughs> even if you don't believe that they're real, which the farther south you go, the more you get that, right? Yeah. 
like it's a story that people tell their kids. Yeah. It's like a scary thing. The Neverborn, is that what the wolves call them? Yes. Right? Neverborn? Okay. I like that. I'm also thinking of, I know this is not really from Lord of the Rings because it's only from the movie, but I think we talked about this before, but the mouth of Sauron at right. the end, how it's like that monster that has no eyes. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of uh, <laughs> kind of similar to what I think that'll that, look like. That's like kind white, of like... White skin and no eyes. That reminds me now of like Shada Haran, who's basically right, right. A, a large merdral who is like the mouth of the dark ones. Kind well, of, yeah. I hope yeah. they don't do this. I don't know if we talked about it on or off the podcast, but like it's such a pet peeve of mine. That's just supposed to be some guy, right? Right. That is the mouthpiece of. He's not supposed to have a super big mouth. He's literally a mouth. Uh. Like a, <laughs> he's a guy. He's just yeah. a guy who's a mouth of Sauron. To be honest, okay. If we want to get off topic here, I, know, I also the whole episode is Murdral. <laughs> yeah, I also like the Lord of the Rings movies, even though they love them. Yeah, well, my other thing was I never thought of like the Eye of Sauron yes. as an actual eye on top of a tower. Right, like that looks like a fucking spotlight yeah. shining on things. Right, it's the bat signal for evil, and it yes. like widens ah. in surprise at the end. <laughs> Come on, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Family Guy bit where he's looking for his contact lens. Do you ever see that? It's like talking and he's so. like the light shining around. Like, I dropped my contact. Does anyone see it? <laughs> Funny. Oh. Oh, anyway, back to the, the, mm. the birth they, they, they birth out of <laughs> pussy eggs in the ground. All right. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, I guess they need a way to visually. But you know what? They needed a way to visually explain the eye of Sauron. And, you know, you couldn't just have someone talk about it. But I guess you could. You could have fucking someone talk about it. But they had to put it on visual. All right. So anyway, let's go, let's go on to let's go on to Trollocs. All right. Trollocs are the next are the next shadow spawn that we meet in the series. And by far the most prolific of all the shadow spawn. Yes. So I'm going to read from chapter five. Winter night is when we first meet a Trolloc. A figure filled the doorway, bigger than any man Rand had ever seen. A figure in black mail that hung to his knees, with spikes at wrists and elbows and shoulders. One hand clutched a heavy, scythe-like sword. The other hand was flung up before his eyes, as if to shield them from the light. Skip on. Um, Then he saw the curled ram's horns on the head that brushed the top of the doorway, and where mouth and nose should have been was a hairy muzzle. He took in all of it in the space of one deep breath that he let out in a terrified yell as, without thinking, he hurled the hot kettle at the half-human head. That's right. So that's our first encounter with Trollocs at the farm. Man of action, Randall Thor. That's right. No thinking, just throw that kettle. So Trollocs are, like I said, the most prolific shadow spawn. They're like the foot soldiers of the Dark One. Mm-hmm. So they were created by Agenor, as with, I think, almost all the Shadow Spawn, during the War of the Shadow. Um, they were created for soldiers. So I like the way this is described. Created from living human and animal genetic material. And both the true power and the one power were used in their creation. And they were actually a failed creation. So there was um, the bloodlust was overwhelming and it was it was very difficult to control them. So they were great fighters, but they were terrible soldiers. And then that's when Mergerall came along. That was the way to get them in line and keep them more organized. If you can even say they're organized, the Mergerall are the ones who can keep them in line and kind of command them into obedience. So do you think like they used the, the one power and the true power and just like took a person and a ram and like merged them together? 
I think so. They're, I feel like it's a euphemism when they say genetic material. <laughs> I think they mean like just a live person and an alive animal and they just kind of, maybe they went Dr. Moreau on it and cut pieces of them off and, you know, merged them together using the power. Maybe. Oh my God. That would be a cool creation scene to see. Much better than that orc, you know, out of the mud. <laughs> Be a little too graphic, yeah. though. I always forget how like graphic some of these descriptions are yeah. of some of the scenes and the creatures in here. Yeah. And I think there's a really good opportunity for them to uh, really horror up a lot, uh, some of the stuff yeah, when they, they do it on TV. They can make Trollocs as monster as they want to make them because they have the potential to be just completely horrifying. Yeah. yeah, and I think you have a lot of liberty to take because it's just literally animal and human hybrids. So you can throw, you know, some of them have horns, some of them have beaks, snouts, hooves, claws. I feel like I picture them all as minotaurs because that's probably the least frightening thing to think of for me because minotaurs are just like a D&D character I've thought of a lot. Yeah. But I think seeing one with like a bird head is really going to freak me out. I, think, I feel like that's the creepiest one they could do. I don't know why. Just like a freaking big, yes. huge bird head. It's just, it's just going to be very yeah. creepy looking. A goat. Yeah, a that's, goat like anything like with a... horns seems more normal to me. I, maybe just because I'm used to it, but I just hate birds. Or like a bear one. There's bear trollocs yeah, too. Good too. Yeah. I think that Jordan feels that it's even scarier if it is a human face with animal features so like if you just see like a person but instead of a nose and mouth there's like an eagle beak that's what he thinks in some of them are yeah there's a lot of things like they say like you know or something has almost complete animal head but human eyes you know (laughs) so they're they're also very large and strong they're they generally run about eight to ten feet tall they can see very well in the dark and bright light blinds them um, they're carnivorous, so they eat humans. They also eat each other, I think, too. Yep. Um, they're very limited intelligence, and some of them, I don't know if all of them can speak. And they mention about how, like, depending on the type of animal that they're hybrid with w- depends on their intelligence. So, like, more of a s- more intelligent animal that they're merged with makes them a little bit more intelligent. So, and they and they do dream, unlike Merdral and robots. <laughs> do androids dream? No, the androids, yeah, well... We know Trollocs do, and we know Mergel don't. Yes. So they are prolific breeders, Tom. Yes. Why don't you talk no. to me more about the breeding process? Let's talk Enlighten about Enlighten me. Reaper. The women breed at an astounding rate. Yes. That's astounding. The they're they like rabbits. They The females are kept in camps. Right? They're just breeders, right? Yeah. yeah. They're just kept. Anytime a female Trolloc is born, they just keep them behind for breeding purposes. Oh so and God. apparently, you think they're going to change that in this in this and have women trollocs fighting? I don't think it, I don't really. It doesn't matter. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a lot. It matters to some people, Joe. You're right. It does. I think some people would be happy to see female trollocs on the front lines. How come just bears and birds are being represented in the trolloc community? <laughs> Where are the antelope trollocs? So apparently, two humans and trollocs can mate. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it says usually the uh, offspring are stillborn. The ones that do uh, survive birth don't live very long. So now is that a, a male human and a female trolloc, or I don't male think that that's. I think it's, it's more, a female I think it's human. More, yeah, I think yeah. it's a little bit more rapey than. Yeah, than yeah. I don't. I don't think a man's going out to the trolloc camp to go. You know, well, the, you know, it takes different strokes. But um, yeah, I think this is more of like a, a male trolloc. You know. Raping okay. a, a human, yeah. I'm, oh God, I don't even want to get into how horribly like <laughs> this is. This is that's like beyond fucked up. 
Think of like uh, Dawn of the Dead with the uh, you know when oh, she yeah. just oh, zombie, zombie oh. baby, yeah, yes, oh. something like that. Oh my god! So that's like, what makes that movie great, though, that they show things like that. You know, it's funny because that is what makes that movie great. And that movie, the remake of Dawn of the Dead, is probably one of the best movies for what it is. Yeah. It's almost flawless. It's got Phil Dunphy. <laughs> right. Uh, awesome. As awesome. For what that movie intends to do, like what, it's, what it is, it literally checks almost every box that it could possibly check, I feel. It's got an A-team uh, vehicle yep. building scene in it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and all right. It's, it's even got hot lesbian action in the, in the end. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the boat yeah. video. The boat video. <laughs> Terror. But, um... <laughs> Anyway, back to Trollocs and females reproducing. Uh, one of the things that I think is let's not get back to that is strong about the way that these books are. I, I, there was like a, I think a casual fan sense of the Wheel of Time books versus uh, the Game of Thrones books. The Game of Thrones books are more adult and like there's more sex and violence and things of that nature, and and that the Wheel of Time books are a little bit more or a little bit less adult in that way but they're, yeah, they, they're it's it's not in your face but no. it's clearly stated that these terrible terrible things are happening all over the place they're yes. just not showing you on camera all the time yes exactly that's right like there there's definitely a lot of implications and there's like they'll be leading up to something terrible happening and then you know they cut away right and you deal so with you don't actually yeah so one thing that i wanted to comment on too um apparently roughly five percent of trollic offspring emerge all so this happens to be the same percentage of humans that are channelers. Huh. Yeah. So I mentioned before one of the other Wheel, uh, Wheel of Time podcasts I listen to, the Wheel of Time spoilers, is you know um, one of the guys on there has a theory that it's not coincidence that it's the same percentage that Merdral would be would have been like the channelers, even though they're not. They instead they're Merdral. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Would have been the channelers yeah. of those humans. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. This is for Theoryland, I guess, but maybe they channel the true power, not the one power. Uh, we never see a point of view from the merge draw. No. We never see them do anything like true power well, either, though. They do teleport. They teleport shadows. to shadows. That's true. Right. Yeah. And they dominate. You know, and they can sense channeling, too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so these could be almost like the the they wheels sh- balance to channelers is merge draw, possibly. Hmm. So we also mentioned before that they link to Trollocs, and if, if the Merdral dies, all the Trollocs die. That was kind of done intentionally to kind of put control over the Trollocs and prevent them from, I guess, mutinying the uh, and killing the Merdrals. They're also tribal, so they're very tribal. There's Apparently there's 12 principal bands of Trollocs. Yeah. And different bands normally don't work together. And just I just wanted to go over a few of the names of the bands, which are actually really cool because all of the names of the of the Trolloc bands kind of correspond to mythological creatures that, that are, we kind of know in our everyday world. So there's like the Daimon, right. which is like demons. There's the Davol, which are like devil, and the mm. Banshee, uh, the Gargiel, the Goblin the golem these are all like cobal huh yeah these are all trollic bands and they're all there's even afrate for like ifrits yeah and, yeah yeah so all these trollic bands are kind of named after like you know mythological creatures i think that's just jordan i think throwing like a nod into right know, traditional myth and fantasy and saying which that- i thought was cool or are these mythological creatures named after trollics <gasps> oh that's true you know, it always blew my mind with the wheel the wheel man He's spinning. He's spinning. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, in regards to 
what are Trollocs in regards to myth and things of like that. Like, obviously, there's seeds that a lot of monsters that you may have in our cultural myth pool might have been Trollocs back in the day. But they're also like werewolves. You know, that's they're right. half man, half animal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're really, really scary. I think it's important, like, you know, the first time that the Trollocs attack Rand, right? Rand has to fight Narg, the only speaking Trolloc, <laughs> or whatever. Like, that's really scary. Yeah. I really hope they play that up the right way. Oh, it's creepy, right? He's trying to get Rand to go with him. Yeah. And you have a sense that this person's like completely over... There's no chance he can fight back, you know? Like, and, yeah. and overpower him uh, or, or get out. And, and they become cannon fodder as the books go on. I, I hope that they maintain a sense of, like... No, like for a normal person, this is every nightmare you had come to life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're big. They're large. They're very strong. They're friggin' bloodthirsty. They eat you or rape you, then eat you. Yeah. And they, you know, the Trolloc cook pots are very, uh, right. (laughs) In the forefront of mentioning in the, in the series about, I guess Trollocs like to cook the humans before they eat them. Um, (laughs) you know, total savages. Yeah. They're part human. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I wonder how they like humans. Well done. Boiled, apparently. Braised. They actually don't put water in. They just hot pot living person. So they're also afraid of crossing, running water, crossing water. They can't swim. They don't like wolves. They don't like Steading and Shadow Logoth, just like Murdral. And they do not like the Isle Waste, which they refer to as the Dying Grounds. Yes. Which is fucking badass. Yes. <laughs> Something I forgot to mention too with the Merdral is with the Trollocs is that they've been wiped out in Shanchen since the millennium after the breaking. I don't think there's any shadow spawn in Shanchen because they've just been wiped out. To the point where the Shanchen don't even believe that they exist. I imagine not anymore. If they've been wiped out no. since the millennium after the breaking, they probably don't believe they exist. They don't. Towards the end of the books, right? Tylee shows them the shadow spawn because Tuan doesn't believe that they're real. Oh, yeah. And that's what, like, causes her to, like, okay, I guess we're going to have to attack the White Tower, not fight with a good guy, but whatever. Like, (laughs) it it accelerates her plans, and it moves her into becoming a participant in the last battle because, uh, yeah, they don't believe that they're real anymore because they got wiped out so completely over there. Yeah, so I think these are going to be pretty simple, easy creatures to recreate on the screen. I think it's going to just be people probably wearing in costumes and makeup with prosthetics. I think it's pretty cut and dry for these guys. And I think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it before while we were recording, but I think kind of like with the Lord of the Rings where they were in like the big battle scenes, they probably would throw some CGI in there just to kind of fill out the ranks. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's move along to our next shadow spawn that we see in the books. And, you know, most of these guys are uh, introduced early on in the book. So chapter 10, leave-taking, we meet our first drag car. So I'm going to read a paragraph describing them. A black shape flew slowly across the silvery ball of the moon. Rand's involuntary jerk on the reins halted the gray. A bat, he thought weakly, but he knew it was not. Bats were a common sight of an evening, darting after flies and bite-me's in the twilight. The wing that carried the creature might have been the same shape, but they moved with the slow, powerful sweep of a bird of prey, and it was hunting. The way it cast back and forth in long arcs left no doubt of that. Worst of all was the size, for a bat seemed so large against the moon that it would have had to be almost within arm's reach. He tried to judge in his mind how far away it must be and how big. The body of it had to be as large as a man, and the wings. It crossed the face of the moon again, wheeling suddenly downward to be engulfed by the night. So, Drakkar, 
Yeah. No bat-like idea. Bat-like wings. No. Yeah. Bat-like wings, right? They fly. It's man-sized. They have pale skin. And they have these big, large eyes that yes. they mention, that they point out, and sharp talons on their hands. So when they – kind of like birds, when they can swoop down, they can pull you off. This is, mm. I think, the creepiest one, definitely. Yeah, we don't really encounter many of them in the series. Yeah, but the second or third – well, the fourth book? When, when, when does uh, the Dracar attack? Is that book four or book five in the Waste? There's an attack in The Great Hunt, though. Yes. When Maureen's at Adelius and Vandine's. Yeah. There's an attack in The Waste. I don't remember if it's uh, Shadow Rising or... or uh, Fires of Heaven. Fires of Heaven. But in one of those yeah. books, like they, that's the last time you really see them as, you know, uh, in-your-face threat. They're around all the time. Yeah, and I think they show up again in the last battle, right? And they're like, what do they do when they attack you? So when they get close to you, they can hypnotize you with a soft crooning song. Mm-hmm. Like a Bing Crosby or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And then when they do that, so Even what they do is they... I know Sorry. <laughs> so they do a crooning song that kind of hypnotizes you, and then they give you a nice big old wet kiss and suck your soul from your body and then your life. Awesome. There you go. That's all. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> give me a kiss. Like a Pepe Le Pew kind of uh, creature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm picturing a mouth from the Goonies. <laughs> We're really dating ourselves. So, I mean, obviously, there's a, a very strong vampire vibe to these things. I picture Nosferatu. Yeah. Like, that's what they look like with those big eyes, the talons, like a very more bat-like yeah. vampire than a suave. Yeah. Yeah, not no. like a Tom Cruise, uh, Brad Pitt interview with a vampire. Or even a Bella Lugosi. Like, no, no one who has any kind of sense of, like, humanity about him, but just really like a... Old school, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, I agree. And I always I always get kind of like a bit of a succubus vibe with the, you know, being able to uh, kiss and suck the life force out of somebody. Made me think of uh, the Dementors from Harry Potter also. Yeah. Yes. There that's you right, go. the Dementors kiss. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about Dementors. And Dementors kind of look like Merdralish, I yes, think. Like a combination yeah. Like a common, yeah. yeah. They also said, um, I read that if somebody like breaks them away from you while they're kissing you, if they get like any part of your soul, you're, you can still live, but you're never the same person again because part of your soul is gone forever. Yeah, that's. I imagine that's pretty life-changing. Yeah. Yeah. We really don't get too much of a description of them. They don't appear too often in the series, so they're kind of like a rare encounter, you might say. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're they are very rare, and I think in part because they're like their power set is very very strong, and like other than doing something super awesome, they don't. They're not necessarily good in combat situations. They're more like assassin, you know. Yeah, I mean, I could see. So this is one of the shadow spawn that I could see maybe being cut. Yes. They're not in it so much where they you can cut them and get away with it. I mean, there's this one scene here where they kind of swoop down on Rand. There's that scene at, at Adelius and Vandines where they attack and I mean you can make that a Murtral. I think that's a possibility that they could cut these. If they're if they're trying to cut down on the Shadow Spawn, this is definitely uh, one of them I think they could cut. Yeah, I agree. I feel like if you're going to create a awesome vampire-esque monster and then just like never use him I don't know if that makes sense for TV. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention about Merdral. I'm sorry. I totally forgot about this. Oh, okay. All right. Um, So next we have. Okay. Thank you. We forgot to go on about killing Merdral. So how they're very. I say that too, but I never wanted. I didn't want to go back. Oh, no. We. we, Because they're very difficult to kill, right? Mm -hmm. You have to like basically chop them to pieces. 
Um, well, cutting their head off. They mentioned that cutting their head off is one of the most effective ways. But merge all after they're dead will continue to thrash for a while until. Go ahead. Go ahead, John. No, no, you got it. You got. You about to say it? Won't actually be dead until sunset of that night. So all yes. the Kraliks they're connected to die instantly, but they'll actually they'll be alive without a head for until sunset of the day you kill them. Yeah, they'll just be thrashing around, so you got to keep away from them um, until sunset, which is a weird kind of folklore type thing. Right. The whole chopping the head off thing, anyway, is, is very folklore very vampire-esque sort yeah. of a thing. And they're, being that their blood is corrosive, if you don't clean your sword or, your yeah. sword or other weapon off immediately, you're going to lose it. Yeah, and they have the, uh, I forgot to mention too, they carry Thakandar forged blades. Right, kill you. Kill you just by cutting you. Yeah, I must. Oh, I skipped over that whole part. I must have skipped the whole section here. Yeah, <laughs> well, so the, they have the those... research department gave pretty thick packets this week, so I can understand. Well, no, the one thing that was cool about them that again would make another really gruesome, creepy, badass scene is that um, the specially made swords forged uh, Thakandar, The swords carry the taint of Sheogul and are seasoned with a human soul. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. I forgot that too. Yeah, they, yes. they're not done until they, they're plunged into a living person. I always imagine, like, seasoned more like, you know, they have, like, a spice rack with some human souls in it, and they're just, like, a little dash of human soul. When no, I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure, like... The drag cars suck out the souls and then put them in little jars. Yeah, and then they, while they're, it's, you know, while they're forging them, they just, you know, put a little dash of human soul in there. I think it's stated directly, but I'm pretty sure they have to yeah. murder a person for them to be ready yeah, to, to like, go. to complete they, them. To- yeah. Which is, you know, nice and evil. Also, one thing that we didn't say about them, I don't believe, is that they're super fast and agile. Yes. Uh, so, like, even in combat, like, it's almost like they say, like, sinuous as of a snake to, like, dodge uh, combat attacks and things of that nature. And so I, I'm imagining some sort of, like, not like the Matrix, but, like, very, I want to see that on screen like i want to see like when they get into fights with them like how they'll like just dodge out of the way of blades without moving their feet things of that nature um i I think that's going to be fun and again like the one thing i will say even though like trollocs kind of get uh used for cannon fodder anytime they fight a merger it's hard no matter what oh yeah yeah and it's like because they don't die even when you kill them because whatever like they're always a very difficult thing to combat yeah so, well, not, not last, but just about last, we have the worms, the Jumara. If um, you I know I, I'm sorry, I didn't mark off the page where the, the description of the worms came up, so I, forgive me for that part. But they are the, they live in the Blight, right? And these were cre- also created by Agonor, like the rest of the Shadow Spawn. They are large worms, and they, their movement makes very large squishing sounds which is kind of cool. They have a, f- a fluting cry. Adult Jumara are multi-pedal insectoid creatures. So apparently when they grow up, they look very different. It's almost like, I think they're like, almost like larva. Right. When we kind of see them and we don't really ever see the adult ones New. in the series now. And they've got spines and tentacles, particularly around their mouth. So I always, of course, whenever I hear worms, I always think of tremors. Oh, okay. <laughs> so anytime, anytime there's a worm creature, it just takes me back to tremors. So that's how I picture them. They're graboids. I'm gonna call them graboids. Snakeoids. Yeah. Snake- <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> I picture more of a more more of like a dune type of worm, like just oh, gigantic yeah. standworms. 
I don't. I never pictured them as big that big. Yeah. I'm like Beetlejuice. Yeah, Sam yeah, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah, Beetlejuice. Yeah. You don't picture them that big. Yeah, I don't really picture them it says they're large worms, and that's very like a large worm is literally can be the size of like yeah. a water bottle. That's a fucking large worm to me. So <laughs> I mean, because worms are so small, they're like the size of like dogs. Okay, that's so kind of I'm gonna read a little bit of the worms right as they're they're being chased by them, right? Okay, go for it. So they're running, they're running, uh, trying to get away. The blight flowed past weeds and grasses, splashing rotten under galloping hooves. Right, so they're galloping at a full steam, and these things are still coming. Right, trees of the kinds that had earlier attacked them did not so much as twitch, even as they rode directly under the twisted branches. The mountains of doom filled the sky ahead, ble- black and bleak, and almost near enough to touch it seemed. The piping came both sharp and clear. That's the sound the worms are making, and mm-hmm. there were squishing sounds behind them, louder than th- louder than things crushed under hooves, too loud as if the half-decaying trees were being crushed by huge bodies slithering over them. So Rand looks, right? Rand looks over his shoulder. Treetops were whipped and went down like grass. So these things are big enough to knock over trees as they approach. So I, I picture them as very large, not like a large worm is the size of your arm. No, I picture them like Bigger 15 feet or enough to knock trees over when they roll past. So yes, I picture them 15, 20, 25 feet uh, okay. in height. And these aren't even the adults. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, there was something else about Demandred and how he found one after like a millennia or something, like in a cave, and it was like the biggest thing he'd ever seen. Or I can't remember how big, but it was the way he described it was like a huge, huge, huge monster that just lived there forever, and no one knew it was there. And then he came across it. Yeah, that's that's right. And he, I think, while he was in Shara, he came across one, an adult one. It went into a cave, and you're right, it grew um, too big that it couldn't get out of the mouth of the cave, so it just lived in the cave and. It just ate anything that came into the cave. Devin Dredd described it as being easily a hundred feet long. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. There you go. That was the but that was an adult. That they can, well, they can sleep that long if nothing's like, and then like a slight sound could just wake them up. Yeah, they don't. They'll just sleep like forever if nothing's around them, and then they'll just like wake up out of nowhere and start chasing. Yeah. Them. So they apparently they don't they won't die of natural causes. I think they are like literally immortal. So you have to actually kill them, and apparently the only way to kill them is to cut them into pieces. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Thankfully, they don't all grow, all those pieces don't grow into other worms. Yeah, and we don't know how long it takes for them to reach full height. But there's a mention in Lord of Chaos that Samael notes that the Jumara will never transform now. Yeah, so like, there's only worms in this world. There's no adult versions of them. Yeah, and I don't know why they wouldn't, they would never transform now. I, I don't know what the circumstances were around that, but yeah. I imagine there's something that something that needs to happen for their metamorphosis that doesn't exist anymore. Whatever that happens to be. Yeah. Some age of legend. And I don't know. Do we see them again in the series? I feel like we do. Yes, you do. I think you see the worms. I think there are worms in the blight during the last book. I'm not hundred percent on that. Frankly, I was focusing my research on the eye of the world, but I do think that you, you do see of them again. Yeah. And they are, they travel in groups called worm packs, which is very clever name. Uh, So, (laughs) Again, another creature that I think could be cut from the show. Oh. It would make a cool scene. You could, you know, people would always refer to the worm fighting scene. I feel like it's kind of been done before, though. You me- we mentioned Beetlejuice and we mentioned Dune and and um, Tremors. Tremor. They're all scary enough. Tremors one, two, three. I think and four. <laughs> I think there's four of them. Which out is there. the one where they go back in time? I don't know. I don't think I saw that one. 
But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I could see them cutting this. It's only the one scene that they're in. So this is another one I could see cutting. Just for budgeting reasons, it's probably pretty expensive to do a scene like this. Mm-hmm. So we might we might lose the Jumara people. Don't try not to be too sad though. I think I think we'll be okay. I Don't am. be sad. It's not like it's not like Brown Leaf dying. No, that's that's devastating. If they <laughs> if they put Tom Marilyn in the show, I'll give up the Jumara. <laughs> okay, that's a fair trade. <laughs> okay, please please give us a casting for Tom Marilyn. Well, yes. Wheel of Time Wednesday is next week, so. Ooh. Yeah, hopefully we'll get something really good. Um, so, Tom, there's one more creature that you wanted to mention. Yeah, this is something that I almost think they're definitely going to cut. But I love it, and I think it's, like, super creepy. And I think that it is another callback to something we mentioned earlier. But I'm going to read uh, I'm gonna read again from the chapter The Blight in the Eye of the World. So they're camping in The Blight, which has got to be insane to do. And they're really still on the early edges of the blight. So they're camping at lakes that turn out to be Malkir, right? But, or what Malkir once was. So they're camping at the lakes. They're like, oh man, you know, those lakes look great. I wish I could refresh myself, take a bath, just dunk my head in it. It's so hot and gross. And now to quote, just then something roiled the waters of the nearest lake, the dark water phosphorescing as a huge body rolled beneath the surface. Length on man-thick length sent ripples spreading, rolling on and on, until at least a tail rose, waving a point like a waft's stinger for an instant in the twilight, at least five spans in the air. All along that length, fat tentacles writhed like monstrous worms, as many as a centipede's legs. It slid slowly beneath the surface and was gone, only the fading ripples to say it had ever been. Yikes. Uh, Wait, oh, here we go. So there's a little bit <laughs> more. So uh, Rand and Perrin look at each other because they can't believe what the hell I just saw. Uh, again, direct quote, nothing that big could live in a lake that size. Those couldn't have been hands on those tentacles. They couldn't have been. Oh. Right. So this is like... The, it's a big tail with tentacles with hands on them? It's like a giant sea monster thing. Uh, with tentacles that have hands on the end of them and a giant wasp stinger that's like a hundred feet long, and it's in a lake. How long is its span? So span is two paces. A thousand spans equal a mile. So two paces is like what six feet, I guess. Yeah. Uh, no, I think a pace is like six feet. Really? A pace, a pace is. A pace. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Isn't a pace like a step? A big step. Yeah, I mean, it's like a, you do like a hundred paces. That's six feet. You usually stride your your height. Oh. Really? Yeah, around that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, around that. More when you're running. Okay. Less when you're walking slowly. But it's reminiscent of the uh, creature in front of Moria, right? Exactly. Right. That's why I wanted to kind of do. I think it's one of the coolest subtle. Or Kraken, or. But yeah, to me, it's very much. It's very reminiscent of of like. The minds of Moria and the creature that's outside of it, and like this is again, they're they're outside the ruins of a dead civilization. There's this creature in a lake. They're smart enough not to go near the lake though, and so they don't have to deal with it. And also, I think it's just again, I don't think this will even make the show, but I think it's a great, a great example of like how twisted and mutated the blight is, and like what like what horrors are available to be seen. Even here at like the early parts, and 
as they move on from the light, they, they just kind of make mention of like, their plan is to go into the blight, get to the mountains, and somewhere in the far side of the mountains, they, they hope to find the eye of the world. So like when they're running from the from the Jumar, when they're running from the worms, they're like, won't the worms follow us into the mountains? And like, Lola's like, no, no, no. They're too afraid of what it's in the mountains to go over there. Yeah. Like, you're like what? The what worse? high worms. Right. What could possibly be even here? And like, this is like, stuff that's just in the beginning of the blight and it's these horrible like twisted mutations either of you see the uh the movie the mist no uh well first of all i've heard of it it is one of the best horror movies there are it's so great it's got like one of the best just awful endings of any movie ever yeah Yeah, you've you've told us but um At one point, you see the kind of creatures that are truly in the mist because everything is from like these characters' points of view, and it's very limited to what they can see and experience. And the, they're out in like the, the middle of it, and you see something, and I, it's very similar to this. It's just something that your mind can't even comprehend—the Lovecraftian horror that that is there. And um, it's funny because I don't feel like as the books progress, horror is that strong a, a, a subtext. It becomes a lot more political. It becomes a lot more, I guess, more traditional fantasy. But there's a lot of horror elements in, in the eye of the world. And I think it's going to be fun to see that on the show. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think you're right, though. I think they're probably going to cut that creature because I don't even think most people remember that. Uh, it's, my, it's one of my See, favorite. It's, it's... it's one of my favorite parts. It's just like a cool, like a uh, bit of texture to the world. Yeah, and we never see never like. See anything again. I don't think we ever return Nothing. to that. Right? Nothing. All right. That's the. I think that's it. That's the last of the uh, evil shadow spawn that we see in Eye yeah. of the World. Of course, we'll be revisiting this after the Eye of the World, um, the first season comes out, depending on how far they go, I guess, because mm, we don't even know how far they're going to go into if we're, they're going to go past the, the Eye of the World. So maybe we'll see other Shadow Spawn that we don't even uh, realize. Ooh. All right. So that was our Halloween horror episode on Shadow Spawn. Yeah. I want to thank everyone for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Arantalk, A-R-A-N-Talk. Um, we're on Instagram at talk underscore Iran underscore Riyadh. Um, I'll put all this information in the show notes. You can go to our website, follow us, uh, subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You could listen to Tom on Wednesdays on Audio Dungeon at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time on Facebook at theaudiodungeon.com. Yeah, on, did I get that right, Tom? Yeah, yeah, we're on Twitch as well. Anywhere where you would see a live stream, you could find us. We're on YouTube. If you're listening to this, make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, make sure you uh, give us feedback, hit us up on Twitter, wherever you need to do. Let us know how you like it, if there's things you want us to do, if you want want us to do more deep dives or whatever the case may be, uh, or if there's topics you want us to discuss. Great. Um, Anything else anybody want to mention before we we hang up the phone, so to speak? Yes, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. All right. Thank you for listening, and you'll hear us next time.